Welcome to the Heal Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Piella, an EFT practitioner and chronic illness coach. Wading through the world of wellness and healing can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Let's calm the chaos as you find the next step that is uniquely your own. Here's to finding simple and actionable tools to regulate the nervous system, release stored trauma, replenish your cells, and ultimately allow you to heal yourself. How do you say your name? Barbara Maddie Meadows. Maddie Memos. That's a name I've never heard before, and it's amazing. Even the spelling of it makes me happy. It's exactly how you spell it. So it's Ma-di-me-nos. It's Greek, but you know. (laughs) Maddie Menos. Today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Barbara Maddie Menos. I've been following her on Instagram probably for a couple of years now. I I lose track of time, honestly, but my eyes always get hooked on something when I can tell that someone is really passionate about what they're doing and really taking the time not just to regurgitate what they're picking up, but really pulling things apart and doing their own research. And honestly, that's what originally let me get so interested in your page. And I know you describe yourself as a functional health coach with a focus on the HTMA testing and metabolic disorders. But you also have a personal story here. So maybe we can start there and then circle back to more of how you work with clients. But I I love hearing people's stories because I think so much of the research is because there's something in our life that pushes us to maybe see a new perspective and maybe question everything we've been told about health. So fill us in a little bit. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much. I mean, I I feel the same way about your page. I feel when people take on their own spin on things and are able to, um, I guess, to explain things in their perspective and not just regurgitate, regurgitate the same type of information that they find on Google or someone else's page, you know, that different explanation could sometimes, oh, my cat has made an appearance. Um, uh, she, she's a Sagittarius. She likes a lot of the attention on her. Um, she, uh, I feel like you can understand, it's just like, it's like rewriting. It's like, you know, when you're reading a book and then you say it out loud and it's like, oh, I get it because you're, it's saying it's coming out in your own voice. Mm-hmm. Anyways, in terms of my story, I mean, it kind of all started, um, I was struggling with an eating disorder um, from the age of 13 to about the age of, I would say 28 is like when I really, is 28 is when I, 25 is when I got serious and recovering, but it was up until the age of 28 that I kind of got out of it. Um, and, you know, when you're in that headspace of disordered thinking and, you know, feeling sick all the time and all that, you you end up feeling depressed and anxious. And that's how I started wanting to get into health because I was constantly anxious and depressed and I wasn't enjoying life. But then at the age of 25, I broke my hip um, and I was developed and I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And, you know, being a 25 year old and they tell you, hey, so um, your bones are as brittle as like an 80 year old, Um, you know, you better work on that. And no one's telling you how except to get on 
hormone replacement therapy or the birth control or things like that, because I didn't have my period at the time. It's like, well, I don't want to feel so limited in my choices. I want to truly get better and heal. And so that, I would say, more or less catapulted me into this realm of hormones and minerals and really wanting to heal myself, but also put the information out to other women that they have other options if they are in a very similar predicament where they are malnourished or their hormones are completely out of whack or they're they're feeling so low in their life and they have this constant chronic fatigue and brain fog. It's like you have options and you mm-hmm. are allowed to choose your options. Mm-hmm. When you were first diagnosed with having the bones of an 80-year-old, what were the options presented to you at the time? It was either to be put on hormone replacement therapy or birth control. Um, And of course, I had to gain my period back um, for the obvious reasons of, you know, having estrogen, progesterone and testosterone do their magic with the bones that they do. Um, But they didn't give me any type of nutritional advice. They didn't give me any lifestyle advice. It was just even if you do get your period, you're probably going to have to be stuck on these hormones because you have such a low vitality. And I didn't want that because when I went back home after the hospital and I was doing my research because I felt not lied to, it's just I felt like I wasn't given the information that I needed to in order to sustain Mm -hmm. myself properly. Mm -hmm. The literature with like HRT and birth control was like astounding to me. I was like, how can you be recommending this to a 25-year-old that has the chance and opportunity to gain back bone density on her own through lifestyle and nutritional methods? So Mm -hmm. it was frustrating. Well, I applaud you for, I guess, having those spidey senses that realized, wait a second, this is not the whole picture. And this is just symptom management. This is the classic approach of putting a Band-Aid on something when maybe there is a deeper request or signs from the body saying, hey, uh, actually healing is possible and it's probably going to look different than what they're presenting. And that is huge, Barbara, because I feel like so many people have been conditioned to get a, get feedback or advice from an authority figure or a doctor. And it's almost like, sure, that's, that's probably what we should do. But amazing that even, even at that age with what I feel like is still a stressful time, you know, developmentally, life-wise, existentially, something within you knew, hey, I, I'm not going to buy this. I'm going to do this my way. And when you started doing your research, I know you're familiar and you, you share a lot about the pro-metabolic approach. Was that one of the first things you stumbled into or walk us through some of the avenues that you took or some of the, some of the experiments and phases that caught you for a bit? So, um, It's very funny. So I didn't get into like the pro-metabolic stuff until like a year into things um, of coming out of the hospital after my hip surgery. But um, the first things that I sort that I kind of dived into was really the nutrients that bones needed. And it wasn't just calcium and vitamin D and K2. Um, Mm -hmm. I was reading up on how like boron was needed and how it's made up of all kinds of different minerals from like magnesium to chromium to selenium to um, strotinum, like all these other like micro minerals that no one ever speaks of, of like what our bones are made up of. So 
it was interesting for me to dive into that because it was like, oh, well, I'm not just supposed to eat tons of dairy and go out in the sun and get a tan, right? So um, like, it's so much more to this. And that's when I kind of started understanding on how hormones play such a huge role in bone density, especially in women and how we need estrogen and we need testosterone particularly for bone density because they actually are what help increase the osteoblasts, which actually help repair bone. Uh, Well, our bones repair and break down at every second of the day, right? That's what they're constantly doing. It's just what we want to do is that we want to help mitigate the the breakdown of bone because that's what happens when we're stressed, right? But our hormones actually play a huge part in that. And so it was interesting how as I went along and as I started getting into more about the how the hormones play a role in our bone density and how our blood sugar plays a role in our bone density and how like the length of our period and the type of period that, you know, women need plays a role in our bone density. That's how I started diving into a little bit of this pro-metabolic space and discovering repeat and all these things. So it took me a while, but a year later, we got there. (laughs) Yeah, for most of us, I'd say it's a winding path. And then finally, it starts making sense. Not to say we have to agree with everything in the pro-metabolic world or even everything that Pete taught us, but it opens up such a new perspective. Jumping off of that for a second, when you mentioned what the ideal period a woman needs to have for bone health and you know ideal bone structure and growth and repair, what does that look like? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, oh yeah, like it's my, my cycle's fine, or mm, you know I get a little crabby, and I you know day one and two is pretty awful, but for the most part it's fine. What are some of those metrics that you look for when you're working with a client to really gauge where someone's at and where to maybe help support them? Yeah. So when we're looking at a cycle, I mean, everyone's cycle is more or less unique, I would say. Not everyone has the same cycle, the same day, the same flow and all that. But I typically like to see a range of a minimum of uh, 20 eight, 26 days to a maximum of 35 days with a flow that is about three to seven days. I know the the average is five, but I know some people, depending on the month that they had, sometimes it might go, so like depending on their stress levels too, you know, sometimes the flow might increase or might decrease, right? Because it's going to affect, it's going to be dependent on how you've ovulated and how much estrogen or progesterone you have created, right? Um, But the color is also really important because you want it to be that beautiful cranberry red, um, which looks like the way I, the way I see it is like, uh, I call it vampire blood. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, if it looks like vampire blood, you're good. Um, But if it's like that dark brown, like, I mean, it's normal for it to be a bit of a darker brown in at the right at the beginning or right at the end, but the majority of the time you want it to be that deep red, or if it's light, like a light pink, then that's something to be concerned about because maybe you're not actually um, really building enough of that uterine lining because that could be a sign of like low estrogen, right? So there's like Mm. some metrics you want to be looking at in that respect. But again, I don't want, I I feel like when people hear, it's like, what is the perfect period? And then if they don't have it, they hyper fixate on it. It's like, 
okay, but are you, are you ovulating? Do you have enough energy? How is your thyroid? Mm-hmm. How is your digestion? Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at other metrics and then we will conclude if this is healthy for you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it gets, it's easy to hyper-focus, especially when people are so keen on wanting to feel better as soon as possible. Looking at that for a moment, I want to pull apart some of the extremes A cycle that's way too short, say 25 days, or a cycle that's like 38 days, what are some potential causes and potential remedies for our listeners? So maybe a big question, I know. (laughs) Well, I mean, for the most part, most people that I have worked with that have had, you know, either or extreme are typically not ovulating, number one. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we want to be looking at how much are they eating? Because most women, unfortunately, are under eating. Number two, are they over-exercising? Number three, are they eating adequate enough protein? Because um, I know a lot of women seem to think that they're eating enough protein nowadays. I'm like, are you reaching 100 grams? They're like, yeah, 100 grams of chicken. I'm like, no, 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 no. 100 grams of protein. <laughs> the 100 grams of chicken is only 25 grams of protein, my friend. <laughs> so... Um, Yeah, stuff like that. How is your sleep? Because sleep is such a reparative um, time for our bodies. And I don't think people think like, oh, I get eight hours of sleep. No worries. But what's the quality of sleep, right? Um, Are you waking up? Are you, do you wake up feeling refreshed? You know, things like that. How's your body temperature? Um, You know, you want to be looking at thyroid health as well, because the thyroid is very, well, progesterone is very dependent on thyroid. So I find for the most part, for people who struggle with either extreme, it's usually some type of an energy deficiency in in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... We could also argue, you know, sometimes it could be other things like endocrine disruptors or heavy metals or like some other like environmental stress, but Mm -hmm. you always want to be working at the basics first with with someone, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and absolutely makes sense. If we see these things as kind of energy poisons or anything that's going to block that chain that is leading to that beautiful ATP production, any form of stress, whether it's psychological or the crazy stuff we put in our hair and in our armpits and on our nails and everything that's in the air, it it all adds up. When you said low estrogen, I I know in the in the peat world or the pro-metabolic world, it's such a controversial and maybe oversimplified topic. I think estrogen is painted as the devil and it's all about avoiding estrogenic everything and making sure you're detoxifying it and binding it and counteracting it with vitamin E and sometimes even supplementing progesterone. What's your take on that? Because I hear you saying estrogen's essential. We need it for growth. We need it for X, Y, and Z. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And I know not everyone's going to agree with me on this. I do, for the most part, agree that, yes, most people are in this end, are in this estrogen dominant state. It's also just in the world that we live in. I mean, you whatever you put on your body from what you smell like perfumes to metals that could actually influence your body in producing more estrogen um, to the popularity of like now veganism, like there's just so many things that could actually have the body be more apt to increasing estrogen. I totally get that. And it's true. Mm -hmm. However, for 
individuals who are in a very malnourished state, particularly coming from a background of severe eating disorders such as anorexia, how can you expect your body to be producing a hormone meant for building and for growth at full Mm -hmm. capacity? So it doesn't mean that you stopped producing estrogen and it doesn't mean that you're producing adequate progesterone either in that state. But what I'm, but when I say low estrogen, you just might not be producing enough to actually fuel this growth hormone to actually be happening in the body. So for the most part, yes, most people are estrogen dominant, 100%. But in mm-hmm. cases in which such as like what I was, I like my estrogen was like tanked, man. Like no matter what test that you would do, whether it was a salivary test, whether it was a Dutch test, well, you know, whether it was a blood test, you name it. And I know some people will say, well, that's difficult to still measure. True. Mm -hmm. But estrogen is produced primarily in the ovaries, in your fat cells and in your adrenals, right? Well, when you are so malnourished, um, there are certain functions which are halt, like halted because you don't have enough energy. And when I was extremely underweight, I didn't have enough fat to produce estrogen or store mm-hmm. estrogen for that matter. So I would say mm-hmm. um, it depends on the context, but I do agree with like, just like with most people, most people do have too much estrogen or are in an mm-hmm. estrogen dominant state because they just don't have enough progesterone to balance it. And their estrogen is normal. Uh, Interesting. Thank you for bringing our attention to the importance of nuance. Because again, we're we, we're in the the age of scrolling through Instagram, trying to self diagnose and understand ourselves through what we're reading. And I mean, there's it's amazing in the sense that maybe it will open up a new pathway of research. And it can be dangerous in the sense of feeling like you understand something and maybe hyper-focusing and losing sight, like you were mentioning, of this huger, this bigger picture of what else is going on in this landscape of health. If someone were to come to you and you can tell they're in a severely depleted state, maybe they're at the point where they're starting to eat enough or they're starting to at least work up their calories and their intake and their protein, would you start off with a with an HTMA test for everyone, or is that case dependent too? I start off. I put every. I do an HTMA on every single one of my clients, just because I feel like minerals are such a foundational piece to health. Um, I'm sure, like you've heard, they're kind of like the spark plugs to our cells, mm-hmm. right? Um, the way I try to explain it, you know, to my clients is like think of it sparkles. You know, you and you. It's like confetti. Um, You want that beautiful spark happening from the cell to actually trigger an enzymatic reaction, which will then tell, which will then force a hormone to be created so we communicate to another cell. Without the minerals, Mm -hmm. none of that's going to happen, right? So we want that sparkle to happen. We want the sparkle to come up back into our life and in our face. so yes, I do start everyone with an HTMA and then dependent on their situation, if we need further testing, we'll do it. But I'll be honest, I really hate further testing because it's so expensive. And in today's economy, people are like, you crazy girl. <laughs> so yes, I see it adding to the overwhelm as well, because, you know, I talk a lot about brain and thought patterns and mindset, but when I see someone and they come to me and I'm sure you see this too with just 
a binder of lab tests and all of these stool tests and salivary tests and urine tests and hair samples and toenail samples. And now they're even doing, I think they're even doing ear samples with the wax. So many tests and they are spiraling because the tests keep confirming that things are going wrong. Your body is really stressed. Are there certain patterns that you see kind of across the board where maybe just based on someone's symptoms, you could maybe predict their HTMA or is that, is, is that crossing? Is that too much to, to ask? Um, well, I mean, 80% of the population is a slow oxidizer. So typically that would mean that they have a higher calcium to phosphorus ratio. So if they're brain foggy, if they're tired, if they're, if they're just overall I guess you could say like you feel like there's like some type of a sedation happening with them. You can assume that they have a higher calcium to phosphorus ratio. Same thing if, you know, they have a colder, like a colder body temperature, you can assume that they have a higher calcium to potassium ratio. I mean, you never know until you test, right? But Mm -hmm. in instances in which someone doesn't have the means to test at all and just work with me, I'm open to working with them still because symptoms still give you answers, you know, and you're never there to um, just treat a piece of paper. You're here to help a client. And so I really feel like symptoms play such a vital role. Um, I try to put myself in in the situation of like, what would happen if I was working a million years ago where we didn't have testing? What would I do? So I would go based off of instinct and under and understanding how the body works just based off of like symptoms and basic physiology, right? Because they mm-hmm. it is still important information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the body's always asking for something. And that's been a, a flip in my perspective too, not blaming the body as letting us down or doing something wrong. It's in fact asking for our help. Like you described that fatigue, that brain fog, feeling just so wiped out. That's not your body dropping the ball. That's your body maybe begging for something. So in terms of replenishment, what does that generally look like? Because, you know, there's this, we live in the age of supplements of every single kind, conflicting ideas about best food sources. I know you and I have our perspective on that, but for our listeners that maybe are new to your work or wanting to understand more of your framework, how do you go about remineralizing someone? What does that look like? So it really depends on where they're at with their with their diet. Um, some people are doing all the right things, like, you know, eating their liver, their oysters, they're eating fruit and carbs, and they're getting enough protein, all that stuff. And at that point, if they're not, if they're doing everything right, right, quote unquote, then it's like, okay, are you digesting any of this? Are you absorbing any of this? Um, how fast are you eating? Are you taking your time with your food to be able to secrete these salivary enzymes and these digestive enzymes to actually help you um, with that process? Because digestion doesn't start in the stomach. It starts the second you look at the food, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a whole there's a whole process, you know, to recalibrate and to rework. But for individuals who really aren't maybe not up to par with their diet, we start off slow, but we start off with the basics. Like, are you eating enough protein? Are you eating enough carbs? Are you eating enough fat? Okay, great. Next step. 
what type of protein, what type of carbs, what type of there protein. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, I understand also everyone's on a budget. Not everyone can also always buy organic. Not everyone can always buy, you know, the, like the right types of foods that we would ideally like them to, you know, be going for. But, you know, in terms of like organ meats, which I'm such a stickler for. And it's so funny because I look back at my life and I think, how did I think? how did I not eat this stuff? Because I'm Greek. My grandmother used to like make kidney patties and things like that. I'm like, how, how, how was I not influenced with this more? <laughs> um, but yeah, like they're very cheap in comparison to buying chicken breasts for like 20 bucks a pack, you know, liver is like nine bucks, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, I think it's also a different, it's a framework of like, you know, just working with the client, but yeah, you want to take everything step by step. And mm-hmm. in terms of like remineralizing people, you want to get the most bang for your buck, right? So what is really nutrient dense, cost effective and simple. And you mm-hmm. follow that equation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you find that most people are compliant they're ready to do what it takes i'm just curious in terms of the types of clients you work with and what you run into because i know that's a big piece of it too you can only meet someone where they're at how does that show for you it's very 50 50 i have some people who are like i can't give up bread i can't give up gluten Mm -hmm. i i need to go out and drink once a week with my family or my friends it's like this social outing um or you know, I, I'm a, or sometimes they're afraid to incorporate certain foods, like especially some women that I have, it's like, they're, they seem to be very terrified of fruit because of the fructose in there. And they think it's going to affect their blood sugar and all these things or eat saturated fats. Like they think that they're suddenly going to develop cholesterol issues. And so we work, we, I, I try to meet them halfway for things and we try to do things slowly. Like if you, if you're, if you want to go out once a week, that's fine. Go out once a week, have like a dinner or a lunch with a, with someone, but meet me halfway and please don't drink and please don't drink alcohol. You know, like let's try and meet each other halfway. You're still going to go out for the social interaction and the fun and the, um, and the companionship, but let's avoid the alcohol. Um, or if they were struggling mm. with any thyroid issues, I would prefer if they didn't incorporate gluten into their diet. And there's other starches that they could get into, you know? So we try to, I, I really try hard to work with the person. <laughs> but there's, like you said, <laughs> there's only so much that you can do. And at the end of the day, it's the client who's who's going to either be compliant or not. We're not there to parent them. We're there to guide them and educate them, which I think is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say that most people do get to the point where they are so tired of feeling sick, air quote, sick and tired, that all of a sudden they are willing to do what it takes. And then it becomes so self-reinforcing because when you start feeling better, when you start sleeping better, when you start having amazing poos every morning, it's hard to go back to that. And I'm curious for our listeners that might have perked up thinking, wait, one glass of alcohol a week is dangerous for me or maybe not ideal. What's your take there? What's what's going on with the liver, with estrogen, with the gut lining? Fill us in a little bit. 
I okay. So again, everything in moderation. But I, I really, I mean, alcohol is a carcinogen, and we don't, and we all understand that it does increase estrogen. It does hinder the ability to detox with through our liver. Our liver is such a beautiful little organ. It's so nice. It's so cute. Okay, <laughs> so and it has so many functions. It helps with blood sugar. It helps with you know um, detoxification. It really helps also with just the process and removal of not just hormones, but toxins in general. I'm not going to say metals because metals primarily come out through the lymph and sweat, but, you know, other things like endocrine disruptors and things like that. But it's also there to help convert thyroid hormone. It's it's a very important, <laughs> it's a very important little thing. And I feel with alcohol, it can really hinder that process. Now, once a week, I think is pushing it. I would say maybe once a month might be something that maybe someone can get away with. And even the quality of alcohol too. I know there's studies done on like resveratrol and, you know, drinking a glass of red wine, you know, every once in a while could like increase longevity and all that stuff. I get it. My grandfather, you know, makes his own wine in his basement and he, it, that stuff is strong. Like, but, um, I think there's also this process of how is your nervous system and what state it's in. I really feel the body feels energy and it can ma and issues can manifest itself from it. But understanding the quality of alcohol in today's world, I don't think is up to par of like what they used to make it as well. Just like how food is manufactured in today's world. It's not up to par as what it used to be either. You know, there's, it's just a very fast paced world that we're living in and there's not, it's quality over quantity. I mean, it's quantity mm -hmm. over quality. Can't speak today, can I? So, um, <laughs> you're doing great. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even halfway through the week guys. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, alcohol is just not my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. And I tell people really and truly, if you could eliminate it from your diet, please do. I mean, I haven't drank in years and I feel better. I really mm. do. Not just for my mental health, but I used to have really bad acne. I used to have horrible digestion. Um, and it also just wasn't a healthy reaction. When I drank, I was like a sad drunk. <laughs> so mm. it wasn't good. Um, yeah. So what's your, um, experience on it? Well, from, you know, a little bit about my story, but I was dealing with pretty bad panic attacks and anxiety and just complete nervous system dysregulation tied up with parasitic infections and Lyme disease and co-infections. I kind of imagined my nerves and everything in between was just frazzled at all times of the day, just stress hormones nonstop to where I should have been flatline depleted, but something kept producing. And what I would notice, even at kind of the height of my journey, when my gut was a wreck and I wasn't responding well to most normal foods, I remember where I'd have, say, a beer or a glass of wine and my anxiety would disappear. And I started to research the GABAergic and even the the, almost like a progesterone mimicking effect that alcohol has. It's very sedative. Mm -hmm. So I can see why people would be drawn to it if their body doesn't feel like a safe place to be or they are in such a sensitive place where it's, it's self-medicating. 
And I also see when someone is maybe in a very balanced place and they are taking good care of themselves, I see the beauty of the social aspect and really how it allows for, I'd say, greater connection and ease of conversation and maybe even sparks of ideas. You know, there's there's cool historical accounts of people meeting up for their libation and having these aha moments. So I guess I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I don't like to demonize any food. I like to see the risks, see the benefit, and also trust people to get to the point where they can be honest with themselves. Is this something you're doing to escape your symptoms and probably compounding them? I definitely was at the time. Or is this something that you are using to enhance your life and taking the precautions to mitigate those effects? I know B1 is depleted pretty heavily from alcohol exposure and even just the gut lining stays extra permeable for probably up to 48 hours, if not longer. There are so many things that you need to look out for. I mean, on top of dehydration and, you know, supporting the liver to excrete what it needs to and break it down. But yeah, I... I really, I try to stay open to everything, and I and I hear the concerns. There was a wonderful, I think it was like a two and a half hour podcast on pretty much the dangers of alcohol, and Ray Pete actually even mentioned how one teaspoon of pure alcohol actually has some antioxidant effects, but no one's drinking a pure teaspoon of clear alcohol no (laughs) we're mostly exposed to the hops which again can go both ways you know hops have very sedative calming gabaergic properties they even have anti-endotoxin properties but they're also very estrogenic so it's hard to it's hard to zoom in and just say i'm doing this for this one benefit when of course it's going to impact the entire system but i would say for most of the people that both of us work with if you're at the point where basic metrics are not lining up sleep daily bowel movements stable energy digestion body temperature all of those things then i would say maybe hold off for now and if you have to partake to maybe feel like a human or something in you is telling you but i need this kind of like the gluten the attachment to gluten well, can you have half a drink? Can you stick with the clear alcohols and pair it with some fructose to support the liver? Some interesting information on that where it might be easier for the liver to metabolize if it's like a clear tequila, for example, with some orange juice. Much easier than a glass of brandy or a super hoppy triple IPA, which basically destroys the gut in terms of infl- inflammatory markers. So... That's my that's my huge answer. Thank you for no, for pointing that back to me. I do agree with you, and it's just like it. That's just like with anything in life, right? It's like, are you? Is it going to kill you to go like get a happy meal at McDonald's? No, it's not. Don't worry. You like you could go have your happy meal. You could go be happy, but as long as you have that um, the basics in. Because that's what it all—it's all about. It's all about optimizing yourself so you can handle these little stressors and still enjoy life. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, right? It's most people want to feel healthy so that their lives feel more enjoyable, and we kind of lose sight of that in the process. Related to that, what to you? What what does that balance ideally look like in terms of? 
enjoying life and maybe having things that are less ideal. And then on the other side of the spectrum is, you know, perfect meals, liver three times a week. Everything is balanced and bioavailable. How, how do you teach that? How do you practice that? What does that look like for you over the course of a week? That's so tough because everyone's life is different. And I find that everybody's body reacts differently to different stressors. And again, going back to the nervous system, I'm just diving into like nervous system health this year, which has opened a door for me in such a different way because I've I'm discovering even with myself that, you know, as our body holds on to memories, it will be triggered by certain things from like certain smells, certain songs, certain touches, certain, you know, you name it, a memory, whatever that will remind it. But balancing life could look differently for everyone, depending on their schedule, depending on their family, depending on their environment, and also depending on like what's important to them, right? Because if if it's important, like let's say you're an athlete, you know, the first thing that's going to be important to you is the function of your body and how energized you are so you could go perform. Whereas for someone like me, maybe, me, I don't I don't really care if I don't have the energy of like a stallion every single day. Um, I'm, I'm a little more like, yeah, I just want to make sure I can digest my food. I'm in a good mood and I'm capable of being productive at work, right? Um, and so that balance might be like some people have to be super strict with their sleep schedule and what they eat and, you know, maybe they even have to count macros and things like that, whereas others can be a little more let loose. So mm-hmm. finding that balance, it, it really is dependent. It's dependent on that person's goals and priorities, and we work mm-hmm. to that. But what's really vital in that, in that process for everyone is being, is understanding your body's cues and mm-hmm having that this body literacy you know whereas if you eat and then you're some suddenly tired it's like oh i should have had a maybe a little more carbs or if you feel like you know you're waking up throughout the night very often it's like maybe you have imbalanced blood sugar or maybe this is like a hormonal issue like what time is are you waking up at you have to look at like the traditional chinese medicine clock um you know like if you what would what be what would be something else if you are having trouble digesting certain foods like let's say it's protein are you lacking stomach acidity you know there's these there's these little things that if you understand how to read your body and communicate to it you can then fix it on your own and then still balance your life in accordance to how you want to live it hmm. yes i i love the letting it be what they want out of this what are the what are the goals in terms of how do you want to feel and perform throughout the day? If you don't need to be back squatting 400 pounds and you really just care about feeling energized and excited and capable throughout your work day, that's going to look different. So I, I'm glad that you, you do a great job at honoring the nuance and the context and, and really playing around with that because it, it does feel kind of playful. When we talk about the remineralization and getting to add in all of these foods, I kind of think it's exciting and, and challenging what we've been told or how we were raised and maybe doing it differently going forward. Back to the nervous system for a second. You were I was looking through your page and I saw a post about copper and how it basically impacts everything. 
And I know these days, especially with the root cause protocol and maybe more of Morley Robbins' work, there's there's some confusion in terms of, well, what's copper toxicity? What's just copper dysregulation? What's going on with iron overload? What's your take on this? <laughs> um, so I've never gone through the root cause protocol, so I just want to make sure people know that. But I love his work. Um, but my approach to copper is I don't want people to demonize it, just like with any mineral. Same thing with iron. I don't think iron is a bad mineral, but I think it's it's a very, like, I think copper and iron get, like, a really bad rap. I mean, they because they they do need, they, they have so many effects in the body. And because they are connected to so many different things that if one process isn't working, then everything else is not going to work, right? It's like a whole dominoes effect. And I find it's very hard to become copper toxic, quote unquote, unless like you're literally drinking well water or through like a copper pipe. And that's like a bit of a different story, right? Um, but to become copper toxic through food, it's like rare. That's like saying, can I become magnesium toxic, you know, through food. Mm. Um, I think we're very depleted in just like through the, pro through the way that we process our foods nowadays, right? Like majority of our food are, is mineral depleted essentially. Um, and I think that's a really big issue on as to why so many people, number one, are also overeating a lot because the body's asking for a lot of nutrients. And that's why you want to focus on mineral rich foods. But number two, it's also the stress that we're under. I mean, the amount of minerals that we burn under stress is, is astonishing. But I feel like there, most people are copper dysregulated, not necessarily copper toxic. And that's because as many, if I'm sure many people who are listening to this, like know that you need ceruloplasm in order to usher copper in, like around the body. So I kind of think, think my post is... <laughs> I don't know if you read the post, like how, cop how like, Copper is a girl and, you know, she needs her other boyfriend. And that's what I made. I missed so this one. <laughs> so I tried to create like a whole story behind it where like Copper is like in her slut era. She really, she, she has her boyfriend, Ceruloplasma, and then she looks at Ayan and she's like, hey, why don't you join us? <laughs> so that, I, I tried to make it funny and so people could understand. But essentially, ceruloplasm is primarily made in the adrenals and in the liver. So you can only imagine, living in the world that we're in, we're really stressed. So that's going to put stress on our liver, I mean, on our adrenals. And then with endocrine disruptors and metals like surrounding us day in and day out, it's going to put stress on our liver. So that's why so many people have copper dysregulation as per Morley's um, reasoning behind all of this. And then, yeah, iron is going to accumulate in your tissues. And that's why it could feed pathogens. This is why so many people have like these underlying infections and they're coming out of nowhere, right? So, um, and they have like, you know, estrogen dominant symptoms because the more iron you have, it depletes vitamin E and vitamin e, vitamin e helps mitigate estrogen. Like there's a whole dominoes effect, right? So mm -hmm. that's my take on things. Again, if you work backwards, at the end of the day, you still want to focus on the adrenals and the liver. It's mm. as simple as that. And how would someone choose specific foods knowing that they are so depleted these days? And say they are choosing those 
the, the heavy hitters, the ones that are loaded with nutrients? Can we even trust that we're getting anywhere close? Um, I think if you were to go like not again, this is a money issue, right? For so many people, like if you could buy organic and grass fed and all these things, um, that's truly the best way to go about it because most likely those farmers are changing up the soil and rotating soils. And, you know, they're being smarter on like how they're growing the animal or how they're feeding the crops. But you'll, Mm -hmm. you'll never really know unless you have like a, like a lab in your house. Right. Um, (laughs) but what I tell people is it's, it is helpful if, it's not triggering for you. Cause again, sometimes I get women, you know, who have had a past with like an eating disorder is to maybe track um, your macronutrients on something like chronometer. You know, you don't have to look at the calories or anything, but you just want to maybe see like if you're getting enough nutrients in your diet, whether it's by, even if you are reaching for these nutrient dense foods like eggs, liver, oysters, mm-hmm. fruit, um, you know, potatoes, squash, all these things. Mm-hmm. I think that can be really helpful. And I used to I used to kind of roll my eyes at chronometer until one day I was curious and started tracking just to see where I was where I was at. And it was enlightening just to see, wow, I am so deficient day after day in vitamin K, in vitamin E, and even some days some of the more critical B vitamins, just realizing, wow. Thank goodness we have a tool. And I think the reframe is key. If it's going to be triggering someone and it's too much too much of a traumatic response to load their food into chronometer because it takes them back to days of restrictive eating or only thinking about food completely makes sense. And maybe that's the time to do some of the mindset work and really reframing it as let's use this as a helpful tool to support your health and to move towards the health that you seek versus a tool of restriction. Because I would say anything that feels restrictive or like you're giving something up or you're trapped, that's going to be a stress on the body. That's going to be burning through minerals. And we're trying to get away from that. And I, I couldn't agree more about choosing, doing your best, but not being a psycho about it, realizing that the stress itself is probably the main thing depleting you. So do your best. Let yourself be imperfect and prioritize what you can and otherwise live your life and move on. Because food, it's so important, but it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be our entire focus throughout the day. And I've, I've experienced that on my own healing journey. And I'm sure some of our listeners can really feel trapped in that. So shifting to the side for a minute. You mentioned in one of your posts, and this really sparked interest in me, how repressed anger can turn into fear. And I want to know more about this and if there is a mineral component playing into this as well. Yeah, so I, I'm really into traditional Chinese medicine. I am by no means an expert in any way, but I like to read up on it a lot because they really connect the body to emotions. And That is such a key part that I feel many people miss or are unwilling to um, or think like they don't think much of it because it's it's an emotional piece, right? Like it's like, oh, well, we all experience emotion. We all experience anger and sadness and all that. Like how could my trauma from like when I was eight years old really be affecting me now? 
trust me, it's affecting you. <laughs> so, but with the anger and um, sadness connection, I've just noticed that in not just patterns with clients, but even with my own experience, I'm not an angry person at all. You will never catch me being angry. I don't think I, I don't know why I don't get angry. It's just, it's not my immediate response to things. I tend to internalize things. And it, I've seen people in my life who react more angrily, but are a lot more healthier. And I never understood <laughs> yes. that. You know, I, it, like, it just dawned on me when I was writing that post. I was like, I don't get it. And it's because anger is such a, it's a, it's a very volatile emotion where it's like an outburst. So you are literally removing emotion outside of you. You are vocalizing it. You're, you're hitting something. I don't know what. It's literally coming out of you. And I feel like if you don't, if you internalize emotions, even if it is anger, and you don't actually get it out, it will then turn into the self-inflicting um scenario where you'll then start thinking you're the problem, you're the issue, and then it will turn into sadness and fear, and it will build into something a lot worse, essentially. It's going to be like a war inside of you. And so in that post, I wrote like why I feel like anger is healthier than fear um, or mm -hmm. sadness because it's going to, because you're not taking it out you're not removing it out of the body. And that's just like you're not removing trauma outside of you. You're letting it mm -hmm. fester and build and manifest itself into something that might not even be true. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting, too, to see the thyroid connection where people kind of like you just described, where maybe we don't even feel like we get angry. We've learned to kind of shut down and internalize it. That might line up with not speaking up when you really want to or just not feeling like you have a voice in conflict and how interesting that it tends to correlate with thyroid issues and metabolic issues. And I couldn't agree more, Barbara, with anger, healthy expression of anger, assuming that you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, but expressing anger, letting it move tends to be a sign of a healthy system. Even the safety within relationships to know that you can express how you're feeling. You don't have to stuff it in. You don't have to hide it. In Chinese medicine, I remember reading about how it's it shifts where if we do stuff anger in, it's almost like we're that gets sent to the liver. And like you said, it turns into shame, disgust, guilt, which that all feeds into anxiety and a sense of overwhelm. So it's a good reminder that we have some we have some control over how our organs function just by how we tend to our emotions and how we either choose to let them out or learn to let them out. I know that could be a big deal for some people realizing, wow, I thought I didn't have anger and now I'm now the floodgates are open, seeing that as a good sign, letting that process thinking about how you want to alchemize the anger into something maybe more purposeful or seeing what that anger means, what boundary has been crossed, what, where has the line been played with? Okay, what do you want to do about that? And again, back to your page, I think even just scrolling through briefly preparing for today's call, you take it in so many different directions. And I love that because it's, it is the emotions. It is the trauma. 
It's the minerals. It's our sun exposure. It's our lack of sun exposure. It's the EMFs that are frying our brains, disrupting our sleep, which then has spillover effects. It's everything. So (laughs) to step back from this huge soup that we've brought to the table, what's What's inspired your more sex-positive approach and some of your posts and information on that? A lot of people aren't talking about this. They may be talking about fertility awareness and tracking and maybe a little bit about libido as an important marker of health. But you, you're taking it to the next <laughs> level. What inspired that? Um, yeah, so it was funny because there, I was brought up like, as a, like a typical Greek, you know, like, and sex was never really spoken in my household. In fact, it was almost like deemed as something bad, um, growing up and, um, you know, through my own like personal journey, you know, and, you know, living through like my parents getting a divorce and things, it was just like, there was always this connotation where it was like, if you do it, it means it equals bad. Um, unless you're married. And I lived with a lot of shame having interest in this. And I I noticed the pattern with a lot of women who struggle with hormonal imbalances have this shame over their bodies where it's like when they have sex, they have to have the lights off or they have to look a certain way over their bodies or, you know, they struggled with shame with not wanting to have sex whenever their partner wanted it to, or, you know, if their libido was higher, like they were shamed for that. And, or even asking their partner what felt good for them. It was like, as if they walked around with this notion thinking that pleasure was or the pleasure that they wanted or seeked for was bad. And it would affect not just their hormones and their nervous system, but their body image. And so I wanted to bring that to the table and kind of open up this conversation on like how sex talk can be table talk too. (laughs) And, um, you know, as I, I don't make too many posts about this, but I really feel like it's not just refreshing, but very empowering for women to number one, have body literacy and number two, to not just also educate their partners on like how the the main part is not a vagina, it's a vulva and, you know, why cert, you know, what, which parts are actually the most sensitive to them and how they could actually get pleasure and what is pleasurable for them. Not everyone experiences pleasure the same way and to be proud of that and to have this open communication between people and not feel shamed about it Um, because our bodies shouldn't be a shameful thing. You know, we all want to feel good. And I think that should be empowering for people. Mm-hmm. And right back to the liver. If we are constantly feeling shameful, living in this meat suit that we inhabitate, oh my gosh, talk about a burden, a constant burden, a depletion of using up what could be could be vital fuel for other processes like converting thyroid hormone into active thyroid hormone. Instead, our liver is breaking down the stress hormones and the estrogen that's created, and not to demonize estrogen, but that's created from being in a perpetually stressed state. So I I really, again, I I love that approach because if we can see things from different angles, angles, we'll realize it's not just about remineralizing, it's about 
stopping up the drain that's burning through and wasting these precious minerals day after day. I wanted to ask you, and I, I close all of these calls with a similar question, so I might be catching you off guard, I might not be, but a big thing that is something I like to reflect on and meditate on daily is how short our time is here and how really we're all after basically the same thing. It's connection, it's love, it's feeling good, it's feeling purposeful, it's feeling that sense of meaning. We all want that to some level, whether people have articulated it that way or not. At the end of it all, what's the imprint that you want to leave, whether it be with your clients, your family members, your friends? What do you want people to remember about you? Oh, wow. That's like a loaded question, man. Yeah, um, I know. People, I ask the question, they're like, I thought this was just about minerals. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need to be remembered for like the work I've done or anything like that, but I would like to leave the impression on people that, um, have you ever heard of the quote, leave people a little more loved than how you found them? Because of you, and it's become a mantra. If I notice conflict or something sticky coming up, I kid you not, Barbara, that comes to mind and it's clear as day what needs to happen in terms of how I want to show up for that situation. But please continue. Yeah, no, that's what I try. That's what I would like to hope that I leave people with or remember me by that. Like they knew I cared or loved them and that they are loved and cared for because, you know, it's so funny. I find we we're all connected in some way through social media and things, but so many people are living with this feeling of maybe they're not enough or that they're feeling lonely. And I'm, I try with every interaction that I have that they know that they do matter and that they are loved or that they are cared for. And even if I'm just like a friend or your health coach or like I'm your, I'm your neighbor and I'm like, I have the crazy cat here, you know, like I still love you. Don't worry. <laughs> um, because we all need to be reminded of that because we, we all struggle with this crisis in, in, within us. Sometimes we're just like, Oh, am I enough? Am I, you know, do people love me? Am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? It's like, no, you are. As long as you're putting effort into things, you are, and you'll get to wherever you need to be. That's a big one, Barbara, that feeling of isolation. And I think it's intensified when people are not feeling well. Some of that, biologically speaking, I think there's interesting studies showing that when animals are sick, they will naturally want to seclude themselves as if to not get the herd or the tribe or the crow family sick. So it's being aware of that, that if you're feeling alone and isolated and meaningless, don't take your thoughts too seriously. It could be mostly chemical. In fact, it probably is. And remembering that there is another side to that. And I, I, I love what you want to leave behind because I think, honestly, without making it sound more cliche or without making it sound cliche, if people felt loved, if they felt validated and acknowledged and like their little contribution mattered, so many of the mental health conditions and metabolic conditions, I think, would be so dampened. 
because I mean, talk about stress. And that's kind of what our conversation circled around today, these different forms of stress, how it's manifesting. Can we find ways to leave people a little bit more loved than we found them? Letting that be a a little sparkle in your day on top of your magnesium and copper and plasma and all these other things. But truly, that's beautiful. If people heard you today and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this woman is incredible. I love how holistic her approach is. She seems to know everything about what I'm going through and has lived through it herself. What are the best ways to reach out to you, to work with you, and to get in contact? You can find me on my Instagram um, at Barbara Medimenos. Um, it's spelled exactly how it's said, <laughs> B-A-R-B-A-R-A-M-A-D-I-M-E-N-O-S. And you could just click the link in my bio there and you could book a free consult with me. We chat for like 30 minutes or you could DM me. I'm pretty friendly. I, I, I My phone is attached to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Barbara. I will put all of your links in the show notes for people to access easily. And I would love to have you back on eventually, maybe for a deeper dive, we could really dissect something like copper and nervous system function or copper and thyroid, something that I think, you know, people would benefit from. But thank you for taking the time today. I am excited always just to get to know people a little bit more closely. And this did not disappoint at all. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've had so much fun. And yes, let's do another podcast together. I love it. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. If you haven't done so already, I highly recommend going to Barbara's Instagram and just curiously scrolling through. And I know I am not recommending mindlessly scrolling just for the sake of killing time. I am blown away by the wealth of information and knowledge that Barbara has and the depth to which she takes it. She doesn't just keep things surface level. If you start clicking through her posts and picking and choosing which ones feel interesting to you, it might open a new perspective or a new area of research for you. I know it did for me. Specifically looking into copper and B vitamins and how everything is so intricately tied up. I know it can be overwhelming just to scroll through PubMed, but if you are feeling overwhelmed and maybe starting to realize that, okay, you've been through some significant trauma, you're starting to realize that minerals are probably playing a role and you want to get some more information, no pressure, but I highly recommend reaching out to her. In terms of practitioners that I trust and that I think are really, really going above and beyond. She is no exception. And I don't say that lightly. I really, I am picky with who I work with, especially after years of maybe working with doctors and practitioners and naturopaths that, you know, we're doing an amazing job, but not really seeing the big picture. So let this be a source of maybe inspiration to find out not to collect more lab tests, but just to get curious about maybe another avenue of seeing things, another approach. It could also be really helpful to have someone that understands about sexual shame and also sex positivity and seeing if that might be a helpful tool 
in your healing journey. But otherwise, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And if you know anyone that could benefit from this or might be interested in learning about hair tissue, mineral analysis, minerals, healthy menstrual cycles, liver function, kidney function, adrenal function, please feel free to share this episode with them. The more people that hear about it, the more people we can help. And that's really what this is all about. Until next time, I will see you then.